0: lab look at that there's more than one it's officially episodic first off I can't thank you all enough for receiving this podcast so warmly I was working on this by myself for months it seemed like in the darkness not knowing if it would resonate if it had value to anyone other than myself and if that was the case I, I was prepared to coach myself into feeling okay about it but uh, turns out a lot of you did connect with it and I find a lot of meaning in that connection and I'm very Encouraged and excited to continue. Uh, So, so thank you. I want to comment for a minute just on the experience of releasing this podcast last week because it's such a telling lens through which I can see the components of my anxiety. Okay, so on the day it came out, I blasted everyone. There was this high. I was getting likes, compliments. It felt good. And then, like two days later, that stuff slowed down, and I crashed. So why did I crash? I think I crashed because within this high, within all of my highs probably, it is this vague sense that I'm on my way to lasting bliss. If I look close enough, that, that sense is, is usually there. So I'm realizing I think there's like three components to my anxiety. I've talked about this in therapy. One, that there's a there to get to, some, some imagined place of permanent joy and transcendence. That's the feeling. Two, I'm currently not there, and that's a problem. And, and three, it's my fault that I'm not there. So this dynamic for me is at the foundation of anxiety, and, and it's one of the big themes of this podcast. It, it's also, I should say, one of the core components of Buddhism is that, you know, when we're looking for lasting happiness, and, and most of us usually are, life will continue to be unsatisfactory. And, and that's why I crashed, I think. I, I was facing that unsatisfactoriness because I built up this expectation, this this addiction to this there. As the praise was coming in, the excitement of the podcast release, uh, there was this subtle sense in my mind of like, oh, yeah, I'm the fucking man. I'm on my way. And, of course, fast forward, and and it's just more of the same. You know, I'm not going any. There's nowhere to go. It's just more of this this reality. And over the years, it's been less about making this dynamic go away and more just about noticing it more and more and getting caught up in it less. You know, and, and really, when I pay attention, I notice how constant it is, this longing to some place. And so just to clarify, I'm talking about two levels of delusion in this high that lead to the crash. On a more simple level, if I think I'm heading towards fame and fortune, and obviously I'm not – uh, then there's delusion right there. It's not going to happen. Uh, but, but the bigger delusion is what I even think the fame and fortune would grant me. Again, this feeling that this lasting bliss is even possible. Um, so I, I just wanted to offer that reflection and, and also to say, I mean, this is actually the main point. Once I put down my longing and, and this attachment to a there, I could see that what's in front of me, this reality is enough a- and that there's a lot to be grateful for. So on that note, uh, anyone who reviewed this on Apple Podcast, uh, I, I was extremely touched. Please know that I read every word uh, of anyone's review that you took the time to write, and, and I thank you deeply. Episode two is with Sandra Kornblatt. It turned out she is one of the greats. I'm thrilled with this episode. Uh, we talk about the relationship between anxiety and bad sleep, and a lot of her insights since we talked, have helped me profoundly rest better. Uh, And if you don't have any sleep issues, uh, please email me at theanxietylab at gmail.com, as always, and I will send you a goddamn medal. Uh, But also, even if you don't have issues, there will be plenty in this episode about just the nature of anxiety, the nature of worrying and thoughts. Also, we get into shame along with the wisdom of self-compassion, And you can find Sandra at restfulinsomnia.com. I know that's a contradiction, and she will address it. As I mentioned, uh, please get in touch with me at theanxietylab at gmail.com. If you have any questions, critiques, comments, uh, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram, too, at S-A-G-A-R-B-O-T. This will be in the episode notes on wherever you're listening. So that's it. Here's the episode with Sandra. I hope you enjoy it. All right. Hello, Sandra.
1: Hello, I'm happy to be
0: here. You know, I, I just in preparation for this, I'd been waking up at two or three a.m. I would say for the last <laughs> five days, just anxious as hell. And I'm not, you know, I'm not making that up. It's it's kind of strange. And I read your bio; um, it, it mentioned that you started uh, this whole journey of of being a sleep kind of healer because of your own bouts with insomnia, right?
1: That's true. That's true. And I was laughing about you waking up, not because I um, was laughing at you. I have a lot of sympathy for anxiety in the middle of the night. I think it um, during the day we can find ways to distract ourselves, but at night it can go full
0: bore. Yeah. It's, I guess, subconscious fear and and panic, I guess, dread that usually I'm able to I guess, distract myself with. And even when I'm not trying that hard to distract myself, the day does a fine enough job of that with plans and whatever the hell I'm doing. So yeah, I, I wonder then because you call you said you struggled with anxiety for, or not anxiety. Well, presumably anxiety too, but insomnia for a year. Now, what are the specifics of that? Because so often I hear people who suffer from insomnia and some people use it to just describe when they're having a hard time, sleeping eight hours or they get up and other people, it's like, no, I stayed up the whole night. So what what was it for you specifically?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. The definition of insomnia really changes from person to person um, in terms of their perspective on it. There are medical definitions of it. But for me, I was awake mm, two or three in the morning and it felt like it was 10 in the morning. I was just like, you know, I'd fall asleep. I'd wake up um, and tried everything i could think of uh from exercise and melatonin and a glass of wine and no no wine and eating right. stopping eating you know all the whole list um didn't go the medical uh pharmaceutical route but everything else and mm. it didn't work um and i um you know i've i've have a lifelong history of anxiety um but it the anxiety wasn't keeping me awake it was something else um, it wasn't PMS, it wasn't paramenopause, mm. it wasn't anxiety, it wasn't jet lag, I was just awake.
0: So you were waking up at 2 and just staying up?
1: I was staying up for a couple hours, and then I'd fall sleep. asleep right before the alarm went off, you know, an hour or so before the alarm. So I was getting maybe 4 to 5 hours of sleep, and I am I like to sleep more than that.
0: Right, right, and we're calling that, and I'm not saying incorrectly, but that that's what you're calling insomnia.
1: Yeah, that was considered chronic insomnia because it happened— most nights of the week.
0: Right. Geez, See, now I'm having anxiety because I want to believe that my sleep issues aren't that bad because the people who really have it bad are just not sleeping a wink. And so, but no, I think I have to come to terms with, uh, you know, just this is a problem. Like last night, for example, I woke up at three. Now, granted, I went to bed at 930, which was Mm -hmm. glorious. And I slept, you know, I got about four hours in and then I woke up and it was... It has to do with my overall just the nature of my mind and the worrying. But I think these days in particular there are a lot of uh you know uncertainties in my life regarding career, regarding um, you know, staying in New York. My girlfriend is wanting to leave New York and we just re-signed a lease and at the end of this year she's like, Hey, I want to start a life somewhere. And I I'm open to that. I, I think I'd love to settle down somewhere and I love her, but just in terms of, you know, I'm a comedian and it gives me a lot of anxiety to to think that in a year I have to know what I'm doing. I have to have either made it in comedy or have quit fully. I mean, I know obviously the more people I talk to and the more I think about it, the more, you know, the options aren't that, you mm-hmm. know, stark and brutal. But there's ways to make I... it work. But but that's the anxiety that's happening at two. It,
1: anxiety, you know, I have I've worked with people who have insomnia because of anxiety. and I worked with people who have anxiety because they have insomnia because they can't sleep. And anxiety has this personality, I guess, as you can call it. It makes things really black and white. Uh, it, you know, it hypes up your whole body system. and so whatever you think becomes the truth. You find that it it narrows your thinking really when you're feeling anxio- anxious. So I help people, get room around anxiety so they have some ways to look at things in a different way. But I, you know, I think that we live in an anxious world. And so to try to pretend that we're only okay if we're not anxious, that's a whole nother level of anxiety right there. It's like, how can you live Mm. and rest with anxiety without having it drive your life?
0: Yeah. And I guess in particular, this period of time, I mean, I guess usually we're comforted by... Things that are just as delusional, but we're just not, they're not tested to this degree. Obviously, by that I mean we're going to be safe, we're going to be healthy, our needs are met, even though none of that's ever true.
1: Right. But it's a nice illusion to live in.
0: Yeah. And it's an easy illusion to live in until now, where you have that on top of all of the other stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I guess it's a matter of, as you said, building space around it. Can you maybe get into more? of of what that process looks like and how, you know, I guess how it started for you?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, um, you know, sometimes I would wake up and I would just be awake and sometimes I would wake up. And I mean, even, you know, this past year, there've been times that I would be awake and think about the future, not being what I had planned and having no certainty around certain issues about the future. And I would spin out to the worst case scenario you know, and then I would figure out how can I solve that problem that I created in my mind? Um, and so for me and for clients that I work with, getting space means, I think in some ways it can even start with the paradox of I'm feeling anxious and I'm okay, because both of those things are true. But when I feel anxious, I feel like I'm not okay. So allowing that, yes, there's anxiety, and yes, I'm breathing air that I can breathe because I also had the smoke to deal with um, this this fall. You know, I'm breathing air I can breathe. I have food to eat. I have a roof over my head right now in this moment. I'm okay, and I'm feeling anxious. And then anxiety has, instead of fighting anxiety and telling it it's wrong, which case to me it just fights back harder, it's Mm -hmm. like it's basically saying, oh, there you are. So then there's a little more room for my body to go, (sighs) ah, <sighs> okay. <laughs> and then you can start to build on that duality and then anxiety starts to get smaller.
0: Gotcha. And and there's a couple different levels of, and I'm okay. One is I'm, yeah, as you said, I'm okay because I have a roof over my head. Physical needs are met in that moment. And then there's this other level of, well, even the anxiety is okay. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. because it's, it's here <laughs> and it's happening. Mm-hmm. I am afraid. And that's what's happening. So often for me, it it becomes, you know, its own mindfuck because yeah, I'm up all night worrying. And then there's a part of me that's worrying about the worrying. And then, well, why don't I know this is pointless. I know I need to sleep, but I can't help, but to stay up and, and figure out, you know, whether I'm going to go and and do the thing tomorrow or not, or whether, whether or not I'm going to take the job or if, if, Or if
1: you're going to have energy tomorrow. I mean, a lot of people worry, you know, it's like I'm keeping myself awake and now by keeping myself awake, I'm going to ruin tomorrow and then I'm worrying about ruining tomorrow so I can't sleep even more and it just becomes this
0: spiral. Right. And what kind of idiot is engaged in (laughs) this level of irony? I I also want to comment on how similar all of this sounds to, you know, a self-compassion practice in the context of mindfulness. Because, I mean, it is this sense of just kind of this blanket layer of compassion, like rain over everything. You're just overriding what the mind is doing with a felt sense of kindness towards yourself.
1: Yeah, I have to say I meditated for a long time and I always considered myself a bad meditator until about a year ago Um, because I would do all the things listen to my meditation teacher focus on my body on my breath I'd feel dizzy think maybe I should focus on my hands focus on my hands get a little confused because it wasn't really working maybe I should focus back on my whole body no maybe I should focus on my breath and it was just um I'd have moments of wonderfulness but most of the time I was fighting what I was doing and I realized um after listening to a talk, I want to give credit to Tara Brock. Um, but what I, I took what she said a step further, cause she talked about being kind to yourself. And I started to consider, and I have practiced this since that meditation for me is simply a time to be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. So I would be kind for not knowing how to meditate. I would be kind for beating myself up. I'd be kind for having my thoughts go crazy. And right. then, and that was that was what you're calling about compassion. It was treating everything that arose with kindness. And so instead of doing it right, being kind to myself was doing it right.
0: Right. And and kindness is such a almost sneaky way to experience awareness because in order to be kind, about something, you have to first know that it's happening. So just right. that feeling of, is it my breath? Should I, you know, be listening to something, all of that self-doubt, and then just to be aware that you're doubting yourself, and then to kind of zoom out one level, yeah. you know, more. Yeah. And then your field of awareness is, this, is just that much more expansive, and then you're maybe taken out of this, you know, self-defeating thought pattern. Lately, I've enjoyed just the feeling of my weight on the mattress. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And by extension, I guess the floor and the earth and just kind of feeling that support. Yeah. Just the feeling of being held. It, it, it is a, it's kind of a profound experience. It's not, it, it just takes me out of whatever, you know, dream I'm spinning in my head. Yeah. Uh, I guess we could call them waking nightmares because I'm awake and I'm just, you know, thinking about, I don't know, some... I have a sore right now next to my nipple. Sorry if that's too much information, but now you know, like, am I going to be dead in three weeks? And then I'm imagining why it's so tragic for me to die. I'm imagining, you know, my family grieving me, mm-hmm. all that. I mean, all of this stuff and then boom, no. What does the bed sheet smell like right now? Exactly. Right next to my nose. What is it? Um, yeah, You know, funny you mentioned Tara Brock. Oh, did I cut you off?
1: Nope. I was just agreeing with you.
0: Love that sound. Tara <laughs> Brock, I, I, you know, I just listened to her. Before we got online together, I listened to her because she's someone who on her website has a whole list of of community guidelines or recommendations mm-hmm. for sleep. Uh, and she has a couple of sleep meditations. And yeah, as you said, it's that kindness to yourself. Uh, in this meditation specifically, she encouraged the listener to put the hand over the heart mm-hmm. and really tap into that. I'm going to somatic. Is that, am I using yep. that right? Yep. Somatic. All ah, right, got it. And, yeah, that just invoking a feeling of kindness and, and self-love. And I mean, I've talked about, uh, are you familiar with loving kindness or meta yes. meditation? Yes. Yeah, so I, I've talked about that before on this podcast, but just real quick, and I'll, I'll let you jump in. It, it's this, you know, for someone like me, who the concept of self-love is so foreign to me, I have no vocabulary for it. Obviously, the first few times I do it, you know, putting my hand on my heart and repeating mantras like, may you be safe, may you be healthy, may you be happy, may you live with ease. Sometimes the phrases can change, but it, it just feels a little dopey. Uh-huh. And it's like, what is, is this Scientology? What, I, what is this? This, this isn't going to work. And it's going to feel unnatural because for me, it's an unnatural feeling. And so in the beginning, it's going to have a little bit of a crude kickstart, But once I get in the habit of it, I begin to come into it more naturally. And it feels like a feeling that, you know, more and more is my home. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I think with meta or loving kindness meditation, the two hardest pieces are loving yourself and sending love to people that you are angry at or feel are your hurting you or your enemies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
1: And I think that you're right. I mean, the other thing I suggest to people is, and this is something from a whole self-compassion piece um, whose creator, I have forgotten her name at the moment, but, um, you know, is, is writing down or thinking of what you've achieved during the day before you go to sleep. Could be taking your medicine. Yes, gratitude. Well, it, gratitude is a whole other piece, but simply being, uh, simply acknowledging what you've done. So it's so easy to have a list of what we haven't done, Um, but to say, I took my medicines, I answered three emails, I went for a walk, I ate decent food, even those simple things can switch your sense of, oh, I'm an okay person. And so that's, again, a beginning of may I be happy, may I be healthy, just to know that you are already caring for yourself in some way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, for me, it's it, the shame is so strong. I'm I'm already doing that in the other direction, emphasizing mm-hmm. all the things I fucked up. Right. So whether it was a interaction I didn't do right or I wasted after lunch, I just sat on the couch and, and just thumbed through Instagram for 90 minutes. Why couldn't I? I was supposed to read what the hell is wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I, and even when I'm not consciously thinking that stuff, that I, I think that it, it's there, just oh, on yeah. a subtle basis. That that self hatred. So this is again, like remind again. It it I'm speaking to I guess me, who's cynical about all of this stuff. You know, these self help kind of af- affirmative exercise. It, it's like, well, yeah, but you're I'm already doing that in the opposite direction all the time anyway. So mm-hmm. this is just um. Counterfire yeah, against it exactly, and and I, it's real shit. It's it's stuff I, I'm not making up reasons I'm good. I'm I'm actually, as you said, looking at things I actually did. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I think the balance is key. I I spent a lot of uh, several months last last year in the fall looking at shame, looking at my personal shame, uh, reading some really interesting books on it, and um, you know, for me, part of it was the understanding that shame often happens before we have language and we have this body feeling of not being seen or understood in a way. And then we start to put language on top of it. It must be because I said that stupid comment to that person, but that somatic feeling is sort of built in and my mother's on the narcissistic vein. So there's plenty of reason for me to have that, but I realized that with nuclear families, the way this culture is created, shame is almost inevitable because two parents, if there's two parents, have to have enough money, health, and availability at the same time to be there for kids so, so much more than they can be. And in places where there are extended families or communities of people taking care of each other, when a parent... Gets sick or gets fired from a job, or their parent gets sick, somebody else can step in and hold that child. But without that holding, the child starts to feel something's wrong with me and starts to develop shame. And so, right, right. and then it's pre language, it's pre language. So, what happens is that I have that feeling in my body of shame, and I try to find the reason for it and I apply it to the people I talk to. But the feeling is of not being seen rather than the people having those disgusting feelings that I'm having about myself. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. That that's the story of my life where I'm finding out it's the story of my life. Well, We will always find the narrative to fit whatever circumstances we were in that day. So I exactly. oftentimes in comedy, the shows don't go well. I, I look like an idiot up there or even just I stammer for 30 seconds and the rest of the show went great, but I'll still dwell on those 30 seconds. And then yep. When I go home, it's like, well, what, you know, the shame is just there. It's just looking for something to latch onto in the arena of thought and language. So then I just, I assume that it's because I, I, whatever, I did the bad thing at the show or, you know, I didn't do this, that that's the reason I'm shit. But really, it's, it's a more reptilian feeling.
1: It is. And the interesting thing is that you can use your body to let go of some of that. So, we, you know, because mm. we think it's in our mind, we try to find an exit in our minds, but that becomes we're calling the vicious spiral. But even shaking your body, moving where you're holding tension, where you're habitually holding tension so you have a different body ability to be with yourself, um, can start to release some of that That lifelong shame that we oftentimes hold on to, you know, those patterns.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tapping. Yeah. yeah. Just dropping into the body. Obviously mm-hmm. dancing helps us do that. Um, but even in the absence, let's say you're whatever at your job or somewhere where you can't just get up and dance. If you if you could just drop into the feeling of wherever you are and the physicality of what's happening, you, mm-hmm. you kind of get a different flavor of Aliveness than whatever's going on in your head in the story. Right, exactly. And not only that, but when I'm in the shame spiral, like these days, a lot of it's career based. It's all about, you know, my current station in life. I'm in my mid 30s. I don't have a thriving career as an artist. Look at all these people who started comedy after me and are now whatever on TV. And, you know, or like my hips are weird or just something. And, yeah, the, the the feeling is that, well, these are all the reasons, but when I maybe just drop out of the story, and it's hard to do that because the story feels so real. So in the beginning, you just kind of have to force yourself out of the mind chatter into the body. And more often than not, with this kind of torrent of thoughts, there is an attendant bodily feeling. And if I just open up to the feeling, you know, sometimes the thoughts lose their momentum.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. I think that my sense is that emotions are a body sensation and a thought. And because we have a body sensation, we believe the thought is true. It's kind of like Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like people would not believe that Martians were landing until they were scared shitless, you know, and then it was like, fine, whatever you tell me, I believe. And so when we can, I think that one avenue for breaking that connection of thoughts and body sensations is cognitive therapy, which I think is fine um, to a certain level. But I also really believe that the somatic sensation in your body, honoring that you're having feelings, finding ways to calm down a little bit, which when you're feeling anxious feels really stupid. It's like when I'm feeling anxious, it's like for me to take a deep breath, my anxiety is like, don't take a deep breath. This is really important to worry about, but still yeah. saying it's okay. Okay. We can worry, but i'm going to breathe, and then the 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 tenacity the veracity of those thoughts just loosens a little bit. You have a body and you have thoughts instead of you are your thoughts you are your anxiety you can yeah. watch that a little bit more
0: right because the c b t cognitive behavioral therapy which is i've never i mean i've i've only done talk therapy but the c b t it' it's useful it it can yeah to maybe dialogue against whatever dialogue is happening reasons why you know i'm not going to die in this plane crash because whatever most planes don't crash and you know mm-hmm. i have a greater chance of whatever else and and but but it, it is still keeping us engaged in thought right and what you're suggesting is again just zooming out a little bit and and having spaciousness around all of it Yes. It's not that thoughts are right or wrong. It's just that they're thoughts. I'm just repeating what you said.
1: No, but I think you're right. I think that, I think that zooming out, I mean, I think that cognitive behavioral therapy assumes that everything happens in the mind and it doesn't, you know, I mean, I think it's an avenue in, but it's, it's, I've just learned a lot from somatic therapy, you know, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. really bringing in resources to soothe my body and to soothe this images that I have. Um, and to just be with what's going on in my body is is a very powerful basis for making the change as well.
0: Right, um, and and to be clear, I'm not uh, trashing CBT. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I guess we're we're just speaking to you know. There's more to say. There's more exactly. to do than, than just the dialogue, which is yep. critical and yep. and just help people profoundly. So
1: yeah, and I think you know. CBT can be useful. I just again think a bigger perspective.
0: Is useful. So yeah, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier, uh, which is that the brain doesn't think very well, which is such a big idea.
1: Well, the brain thinks fine. It's the anxiety doesn't think very well because we're in our reptile brain. We're not accessing our prefrontal cortex or anything else that has the great thoughts that we have. Um, We are just basically... Um, using our brain to come up with solutions to the imagined anxiety we have we're having, and we're not um stepping back to um the amazing miracle that we have under our skull. It's just a reactive place instead of a forethought
0: right but but it's such a i guess fantastic illusion, this idea of <laughs> anxiety, you know especially I guess this three a m anxiety. Mm-hmm being, feeling true. I need to worry about where I'm going to live in a year from now because I have to, it's important. Right. I'm assuming it's important.
1: Yeah. And
0: true. Sorry, I'm interrupting. You keep going. No, go ahead.
1: I think feeling true. I think you, you nailed it. That anxiety feels like it's true and important. And if you let go of anxiety, what stupidness are you doing? So that's where I was talking at the beginning about anxiety, having a personality and it feels important to honor the personality of anxiety rather than trying to get it to leave. It's like, you feel like this is really true and important. I get it. And what else is there? So, um, so again, it's expanding the, the perspective, knowing that anxiety is going to fight back, which is fine. Mm. You know, Anxiety wants to hold on to what it's holding on to. And there are ways there's ways to loosen the grip, but you need to honor that it has the grip.
0: Yeah, I mean it speaks at large to maybe the nature of self, the illusion of self, and this is a Buddhist term, and this will probably come up every podcast. I, I think I'm starting to learn. A pattern in this podcast, which is shame, comes up every episode. The nature of self might come up every episode. Compassion might come up every episode. So, if you're listening and you're hearing me talk about these things again, uh, it's it's just going to. This is just the nature of, I guess, working with the mind is is that it is for me at least, and I think for a lot of people, a, a repetitive process. And so, when we're talking about uh, I guess that was a little bit of shame on my end here, just at at the fear of, of being judged by some hypothetical listener but no this this is the work that I'm doing uh, this is the self and and this feeling of objectivity behind my thoughts, like I am the objective thinker, and there and there's this feeling of it's rational and it makes sense to to whatever follow thoughts and to assume that it is some operation that that has its act together whenever we're whatever chewing on something trying to figure it out even if in my head i'm going i need to stop thinking i better relax that is also just a thought see there's the illusion of self right there is is this i that needs to stop thinking where is this i you know this this is also just another thought that can be observed and and let go of you know, it, it, it's more anxiety. It's more coming from something we can't understand, some mind-body process. So more and more we can trust in the wisdom of just putting this entire apparatus of mind activity down on occasion.
1: I think you're right. I, I, there's a couple of things that your conversation makes me think of. One is when we talk about the sense of self and compassion and the things that you repeat in this podcast— those things need to be repeated to ourselves so that we really understand them in a more deep level. So coming back, yep. So coming back to them, you know, it's, it is important to hear them repeated and understand, um, the nature of them in a new way. I think that, um, we live in a culture that is so mind-based so mind-based, you know, it's like, how well did you, I mean, if you see people, kids in school, they're not allowed to stand up. They're not allowed to move. They just have to sit and sort of use their body to carry their mind around. Um, and, uh, and we get distorted, Mm. we get distorted thinking that our minds are, um, real, (laughs) um, uh, that they are, you know, people, you can't put your mind in a wheelbarrow and carry it anywhere. It's a process that continues to happen. It's a process, a lot like your process of seeing or your process of hearing or your process of, you know, of your senses, but it, it has this life of its own. And, um, and to believe all your thoughts will get you into big trouble. Um, You know, I, I have thoughts about people I'm mad at that, I'm just, I have to remind myself, they're just thoughts, you know, it's not, um, I'm not doing anything. I'm just having anger, for instance, um, and being able to let it go instead of believing, well, if I think that, then what's next? So for instance, if you imagine a tree, you know, and you can see it in your mind and see the trunk and the leaves, that's one thing. But if you go up and touch the tree and you feel it in your hands and you smell um, the leaves, that's a whole different experience. So I appreciate minds. I'm so glad we have them. If anybody has ever known somebody to lose their mind from dementia or drinking or, you know, just uh, drugs or whatever, I'm glad we have them. They allow us to be in the world, but um, there's so much more wisdom in the body, in the earth, in, um, in you know, in our senses, in our community um, that goes beyond the conscious
0: mind. I'm glad you said that you appreciate the conscious mind, though, and and just the need to be in the world. So it's not, again, I, I used to be very confused of like, oh, if thoughts aren't real, then, you know, let's say I have a thought that my friend stole my money and he did, then what? I'm just going to go back into my body and ignore that? You know, that, that sounds like make-believe. But no, it, it. we're saying that the thoughts aren't the whole story. So, you know, even if I'm having a thought that my friend stole my goddamn money and I need to, you know, set the set it straight with him, then I can have that thought and decide to act, obviously. But the way that it's showing up in my mind is probably, you know, there's some distortion going on. Maybe there's just some shame loop of self-worth feelings happening as a result of being a victim. Or I don't know, maybe there's this imposed meanness to his behavior that's going on in my mind. Whatever it is, that's what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. I so think, it's separating I think the right. story
0: from the event. Exactly. You know what I mean? All right.
1: It's a good distinction between objective reality and the subjective things that we mean. We we think that it means for us or for them or for the world.
0: So I want. I wanted to go back to the seven pathways to rest that you mentioned. Right. It it sounds. Uh, I'm intrigued. <laughs> These are. This is your method, I assume. Yes, it is. It is. I, I'd love to hear more about that if you're willing to disclose. I'm glad to
1: disclose. I love I love working with people on it. I, what I have found is that rest is simple but not always easy. <laughs> you know, exactly. again we we're talking about oh I can rest, but the the truth is that we have these levels of being able to rest more deeply and when I work with people, I go through the pathways to understand if they're chasing sleep. You know, because when you're chasing sleep, you're pretty much keeping yourself awake.
0: Because you're thinking of it as an accomplishment, like another thing I have to do right.
1: Yes. And And shame. It's about not doing. Yep. Yep. It's about letting go. So shifting there, um, working with people on creating a connection to where they're sleeping that is coming from not just the sleep hygiene pieces, which I appreciate greatly, you know, that it's cool and quiet and dark, but how do you create a cocoon for yourself? In a very simple way of just reminders of you're letting go. How can you honor that part of yourself? Um, with the with the body piece, we talk. I talk a lot about the difference between thinking and awareness about your body. We often treat our bodies as second class citizens. That hmm. we to give them the minimum <laughs> minimum requirements, so they carry our minds around better. You know, instead of really being able to feel what our body is doing, the mind piece, um, you know, that's a that's a big topic because a lot of people's minds keep them awake. So, I really talk about ways to look at the mind, have a different relationship to the mind, and have tools that can help continue that broadening so that we don't get so caught up in the struggles. That the mind creates for ourselves. The mind likes to create problems because it likes to solve problems. So once you start thinking, it's like, yay! I get to find another problem to solve.
0: Yeah. So we're talking. I'm, I'm assuming we're a lot of these are in in the vicinity of or in a meditation practice.
1: Well, I talk about meditation, but a lot of my tools are not considered meditation. Um, I think that. There Again, I mentioned earlier that the idea of coming back to something is really important, but, um, you know, meditation is talking about a large level of awareness, and sometimes with the mind, you can give the mind something else to do that's less personal, that allows your body to rest. So that is not a meditative, it's tr- in terms of the traditional Buddhist meditative state, um, it's a different way of relating to your mind. Um, excuse me.
0: Yeah, no, I'd love to hear an example of something that could.
1: Well, um, so I encourage people to think about, for instance, taking a walk around the block. So we go through a visualization where you imagine you're at your front door, you imagine you're opening your, your door and you're going downstairs. If you're in an apartment, you go down the elevator, you go out the door and you look um at the world around you, um, and you take a left turn and you go past what's familiar to you and you use your senses to remember the trees, to remember the um playground toys, to remember the dogs, and then you just go around the block and come back in. And what that does is that it helps your mind have a outside connection. So you're you're using your mind to reconnect with your body um, through a visualization. Um, and that's, you know, I'm sure some people could call that meditation. That's fine. That's not how I've learned of meditation. So it's using a visualization to get your mind to be out of the problem solving rut and focusing on something else.
0: Mm -hmm. And is there some hope that within that process, they will have fallen asleep?
1: Fallen asleep. So now we're coming back to the sleep versus rest piece. My, um, what, You can't make yourself sleep. It's impossible, but you can allow yourself to rest. So I help people really understand what rest feels like, how to create it, and how to come back to it. That's the kind of meditative piece where, you know, if if in this walk you have a nanosecond or a minute where your thoughts are a little confused and your body feels more relaxed, it's like, yay, you're on the right path. And then you find ways to come back to that place of rest and after and rest will improve your mind, improve your health, improve your cognition, improve your mood, and it will welcome sleep. But if you're constantly monitoring whether you're sleeping or not, you're not resting and you're not yeah, that's, sleeping.
0: That's what I do. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So it's this idea of appreciating what, I mean, it, in a way it goes back to gratitude of mm-hmm. i am in a i am resting on this mattress right and i'm in, there's a way to enjoy that feeling regardless yeah. of whether you're unconscious
1: yeah and i help people rest not their not only their bodies but also their minds and their emotions so it's a way to find a way to deepen and continue to move into rest until it is um, that gray area between sleep and it is also helping your body be better for the next day.
0: Yeah. So, so you're saying that even if we're not asleep, just if we're, ha- you know, if we're resting in a way where we're not just obsessed over whether or not we're getting sleep, in which case we're getting more wound up and causing more stress to our body. But if we're actually just resting but not asleep, then there, we are getting some benefits.
1: You're definitely getting some benefits. I love sleep. I, you know, it's like, I, I would love to have a night that is a full night's sleep. Um, But when I can't, I don't suffer from chronic insomnia anymore. Um, But when I wake and I'm, you know, in the middle of the night and thinking or worried, I know that I can follow the seven pathways or just one of the pathways and be able to say, okay, I'm just going to rest. And I let go. I let go Mm -hmm. of where I am. I let go of the thoughts. I let go of my emotions. And it does welcome sleep. Um, again, it's that paradox, though. It's just allowing rest to happen. It is really the first stage of sleep.
0: Mm. So, yeah, I'm just trying to map this to my own struggles currently. Okay. Which, so what? You know, let's say tonight when I'm in bed and I'm I'm noticing that I'm not falling asleep, I could just kind of, yeah, treat that like you know a thought that's happening and not get too caught up in this story, you know, to try to again and again, put the story down of I'm failing again. Mm -hmm. And instead of this, this inner narrative of who I am and why I'm unworthy and whatever fears about whatever I have to do tomorrow on no rest, I can just kind of engage the mind in other ways, such as visualization and um, awareness
1: Ask the mind to help you rest and see what comes up.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I've also heard the body knows how to rest. I think I, I stole that from Tara Brock, which is the body, like the mind doesn't have to do, like we don't have to kind of achieve sleep through through the mind, I guess. It's it's more of a letting go.
1: Right. Hmm. And the mind, the mind likes to hold on. So I think that we need to engage the mind in letting go. It's an, it's a paradox, but you can ask the mind's help in finding ways to, um, to let go of either creating things personally, focusing on something else, focusing on an area of your body that's feeling tense. You know, we can Mm -hmm. bring the mind in instead of trying to chase it away as well.
0: Right. and but, but then a lot of times, uh, you know, the pitfall is, oh, shit, I'm not letting go enough. Am I letting go? Is this it? <laughs> and I guess for that, just, you know, loosen around that too.
1: Yeah. Letting go 5% is a way to start. That's it.
0: Yeah. I've heard this advice at times, which is when you're having, this is more sleep hygiene. Which you which you mentioned is helpful but doesn't maybe get to the heart of it but <laughs> I've heard this advice about well if you can't if it's been fifteen minutes and you're not asleep, get out of bed and just do something else I'm like what are you crazy I'm gonna turn on the light and start what watching TV or reading like that then I'm gonna be awake the rest of the night I, I just can't trust that advice
1: you know everybody's individual, and I really honor that for some people when they're in bed they're creating uh an association with the bed being a place of struggle. And I've worked with clients on this. So I honor that if they need to, they can get out of bed so they're not having that association. I work differently. I encourage people, if they can, to find ways to be kind to the process of resting instead Mm -hmm. of being angry at the failure to sleep. Um, And so that's a different... Different relationship that you can do in bed, um, right?
0: That's so beautiful. Can you just repeat that? I, it, it's so profound to me. Be
1: so. Let's see, see if I can do it the same way. But being kind to the process of rest instead of mad at the failure to sleep.
0: Wow. Wow. I, I love that so much. Yeah. I'm gonna re- that that'll help me. Hopefully, it'll get me 17 additional minutes tonight. Excellent. Uh, so, when someone gets up in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. what do you suggest they do?
1: Well, if they have to go pee, go pee, preferably with uh, not a lot of bright lights on. Notice when you're thinking, um, because once your thinking starts, it's going to be like, hey, I got the roads, the, the thinking road on gear. Um, and find ways to shift that thinking to something that is. Um, uh, you know, a complicated game uh, in your mind that's not personal. You know, last night I was um, trying to go through all the colors I could think of in alphabetical order, which, you know, or sometimes I think about trees or something like that because it takes me to something that I like in my mind and it gives my mind a problem to solve. Um, so the mind part is happy, but it's not what am I going to do, Um what am I going to do tomorrow? If the mail doesn't come, then my check doesn't come. I'm just making that up. So, you know, it's not a personal issue. So I, I actually go through the seven pathways. Do I want to rest? Am I feeling comfortable in the environment? Do I, can I relax my body? Can I help my mind soothe? Is there an emotion that I need to do some little letting go with? Um, am I aware that there's more than just me in the world? And is my purpose for the next five minutes, what is that? Is it going to be to think or is it going to be to let go? Um, and then, you know, I go through those seven pathways. Um, you know, if I need to, I go through them again or whatever, but it's really moving me in the place that I want to go to rest.
0: Yeah, let me let me throw this in the mix too. Um, are you familiar with Tonglen?
1: I have heard it, but I couldn't tell you define it again.
0: I, I don't know if I could give you the uh, textbook, but I just understand it as sending out wishes for a, you know, for example, I, I the, the reason I wanted to bring it up now is just when I'm struggling to fall asleep, I send out well wishes to everyone else who is currently awake at night, tossing and turning, frustrated, right? And you know, there are, there's, you know, millions.
1: That's a wonderful, wonderful idea. Um, and I And I think that, Oftentimes we feel really isolated when we can't sleep. Um, and so feeling connected to other people, to nature, to divine, to, you know, awareness is really good. But I love sending out Metta or Tonglen good wishes. I like that a lot.
0: Right. just Just to nail it down specifically... Uh, In Tonglen practice, this is from Lion's Roar. We visualize taking in the pain of others with every in breath and sending whatever will benefit them on the out breath. So, in this context, anyone who's breathing in everyone's pain and anguish, tossing and turning, and then breathing out peace and calm. You know, really shifting the lens to the benefit of others helps. I mean, the self is so loaded and it's, it's hard. It's such sticky territory. It's, it's nice to just imagine somebody else. Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, even, even outside of a formal practice, if you just engage in terms of what if a friend was going through what I'm dealing with right now, what if a friend was just up at two frustrated, angry at himself, feeling inadequate, what would you, what would you advise them? I just advise them to be gentle on them. I just wish them a blanket feeling of gentleness yep. and that you're Okay.
1: Yep. And you end up cuddling under that blanket as well. Your unconscious mind is like, well, I wonder what that blanket would feel like to that other person. And you're like, oh, I can apply a little bit of that to me.
0: Wow. Uh, I I really love the way you put that and and just the idea of that in general. So look, we're about as long as we go. I don't know if you have any restrictions, but I've really enjoyed this.
1: Sounds, it's been a great hour with you. I've really enjoyed the depth of conversation and your questions and your perspective. It's been lovely to talk to you.
0: It means a lot to hear that. Uh, thank you so much, Sandra. Take care.
1: Thank you. It's been great to talk to you. And to, to all your listeners, I send them the best wishes.
0: And there it is. That's episode two of The Anxiety Lab. Thank you again to Sandra. Thanks to you for listening. I don't want to say too much on this outro because I want that snuggly little blanket sentiment that we ended on to keep reverberating because it's a good one. The last thing I will say, if you could do me a favor, I hate to ask, but please, um, if you could rate and review me if you're enjoying this on Apple Podcasts, it would really help me get this thing to more listeners. uh, I, I would appreciate that. So until next time, more than I wish you restful sleep. I wish you peaceful rest, huh? How do you like that? Take care.